and welcome to Cubs PS Plus, a Northside numbers game, a weekly podcast that dives headfirst into the analysis of hot topics driving Chicago Cubs baseball. I'm your host, Mike Waller, a lifelong Cubs fan, full-time baseball stat nerd, and sometime youth baseball coach. Thank you for being here today. I know you have a lot of choices out there. You can also find me on Twitter, or maybe it's X now, Instagram, TikTok, Threads, and YouTube, all at Cubs PS Plus, a spin on the baseball metric OPS Plus. If you can, please drop a five-star rating on Apple, Spotify, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever it is you get your podcasts. If you've done that, thank you so much. Maybe you could share an episode with a friend. Just a few seconds on your end can help me get better and help other Cub fans find the show. You can now support Cubs PS Plus on Patreon. Our page is cubspsplus.patreon.com. There are four support tiers which come with added perks, such as a private Discord discussion group, merch discounts, the ability to submit priority questions ahead of time for interview guests, and more. Your support will help me keep this podcast ad-free. Welcome into episode 46. I had a hard time with this one as the Cubs have had a surprising number of guys wear number 46 and be favorites for me, but we'll go with the bullpen and call this the Lee Smith and Hats to the Left episode of this podcast for probably the two best Cub relievers of my lifetime, Lee Smith and Pedro Strope. Also appropriate to talk about Strope around the deadline as he was part of that amazing deal in 2014 that brought him over with Jake Arrieta for Scott Feldman and Steve Clevenger. Let's make one of those deals this week. This is a busy episode. I open with my tribute to the legendary Pat Hughes, who was inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame this weekend, and then I talk about how the Cubs have been playing lately and what that means for the trade deadline. After walking through what I think the Cubs should do and might do at the deadline, I close out with a brief bit on what I saw on my trip to Myrtle Beach last weekend to see the Pelicans. There's a lot to do when the Cardinal Series starts in just about an hour, and the Cubs need to do damage. Are you ready? I'm ready. Here. We. Go. There's so much to talk about this week, but I want to start with Pat Hughes. We'll save the trade deadline stuff, the Cubs' current streak, and my trip to Myrtle Beach to see the Pelicans for later. I want to start with Pat Hughes. It was right around this time last year that we were all mourning the passing of the great Vin Scully. And there have been so many great, great, great baseball voices over the years. And Pat is one of the last remaining that just, he's got that old school baseball charm. You know, every time you tune in, you hear one of the first things I look forward to is hearing that description of the uniforms and what colors the teams are wearing and, and just laying out the scene for the listener who's driving in the car or sitting in the backyard or doing whatever it is we're doing when we can't watch the game. And admittedly, I don't listen to the Cubs on radio as often as I used to. If they're in the car, I'll turn Pat Hughes on. But I do prefer generally to watch the games. And being distant, I live in Charlotte, North Carolina. I'm typically watching over satellite. It's difficult, I'll say, to synchronize the uh, radio call with the TV call. So as much as I'd often rather listen to Pat, I often listen to Boog. But I have spent many, many, many hours over the years listening to Pat Hughes, and he's just incredible. I mean, it was amazing to listen to back in the day when he was working with Ron Santo. I mean, here's Pat Hughes, this very polished, very smooth, let's lay out every detail announcer who is still managing to coherently describe the game and describe the action he's seeing while Ron Santo, good or bad, is absolutely losing his mind next to him. It's just, it, it was so endearing in the way he interacted with Santo, especially up through all the Hall of Fame stuff when Ron just could not get inducted and could not get inducted. The Cubs wound up retiring his number. Um, you know, it, there was so much greatness there and it was so much fun to listen to. And he's, he's got the same 
very similar rapport and, and comfort level with Ron Coomer now. But listening to Pat Hughes is just an absolute treat. I love when he takes on the TV broadcast. Honestly, he is just as good on TV as he is on the radio. I know Len Casper, who was also one of my favorite Cubs voices, left to go to the White Sox so he could do radio. I, As a TV viewer, I would certainly not complain if they brought Len Casper back over to do Cubs radio and Pat switched in the TV booth. But one of my favorite stories about Pat Hughes is you know, over the years, going back about five or ten years, my mom had found a series of audio documentaries he had put together on some of the great broadcasters. So we had Red Barber and... Bob Euchre and just guy after guy after guy that was the all-time baseball broadcasting greats. And he would put these out. They've got a nice cover, jewel cover or jewel case with a cover showing the announcer in the prime. And my mom had ordered, started ordering me those as basically stocking stuffers. So I would get a couple here, a couple there as they would come out. Well, one year I got one and I think, I don't remember what the issue was. I, th- I think I got two of the same, same one. I think she had ordered um, I don't remember which one she had ordered, but I think she had ordered two and I got two of the same one and not a big deal to me, but she's telling the story and, and she loved listening to Pat and it was funny cause she was saying that there was a customer service number. So she went to call to talk about you know, the, the, the order mix up or what, whatever it was. And so she called the number and she hears this weird voice on the other end of the line. Turned out that was Pat Hughes living room number. So she called him right on his landline in his house. Um, kind of wish I still had that number, but I don't know. It was always a fun story. We joked and laughed about for years after the fact, and now she's gone. So this, that was one of the first memories that popped to mind when Pat was inducted this year, but very deserving. Love listening to Pat and Pat. I hope you stay with the Cubs for many, many more years. It's an absolute pleasure to listen to you call baseball. And speaking of pleasure to call baseball, it's been a lot of fun lately. I mean, when you look at the Cubs just came off just a wild win in Chicago last night over the White Sox, um, Cubs fell behind early, crawled back, fell way behind, or fell way behind, and then came all the way back through sheer wildness. There were a couple big hits, scored a run on a two-out strikeout, which doesn't happen every day. Joe Kelly walked in a couple runs. It's been great. So the Cubs continue this run. I mean, they've been hot recently. Last night was their fifth straight win. They've won seven of their last eight games, ten of their last 15 it's all been very much a question of, are they going to be buyers or sellers at the deadline? And we've kind of, you know, we, we've been on this watch for almost a month now, maybe, maybe a little more than a month. And it's, I can't imagine how rough it is for the players. I mean, as a fan, I feel completely bipolar. It's, it's nuts. Like the Cubs will lose a couple games in a row and all of a sudden, oh my God, they're going to be sellers and, and everything's going to crap. And then they'll win three in a row. And all of a sudden, no, yeah, of course we're going to be buyers, but the reality of it is, you know, Jed and Carter have to take the long view. Um, I've been pretty clear on what I think they should do this year, but um, they're not literally bouncing back every day going from, oh, we're buyers to, oh, we're sellers. You know, I'm, I'm sure they went in with a framework. And I think on the whole, they wouldn't want to sell because if they sell, that's doesn't say great things about the job they've done the last two years. And I know, you know, Jed says things and sometimes they're not fully baked reality and he's saying what I think he thinks fans want to hear. But when they they started selling off the core in 2021, or they made the U Darvish trade and got those teenagers back, basically he had made a comment that the age of the players they were getting back did not indicate what the Cubs' timeline would be on whatever the, the retool or rebuild was going to be. So even though he said it wasn't a rebuild, of course it was always going to be a rebuild. The question was how fast could they turn it? I mean, they had good assets to sell. They've gone from a 
you know, I, th- I think before the Darvish trade, I want to say they were as low as like 28th in baseball and farm system rankings. And now Fangraphs has them at the number as the number three minor league system in baseball. So they've made a lot of progress in that mode. But when you look at what the Cubs are, they got off to a quick April, just had an awful May. I mean, they were just, I think they went eight and 20 in May. And so that's what really started driving up the the sell talk because you know, if you're going to play that level of baseball, of course, you're probably going to be sellers at the deadline. But really, when you look back to it, you know, the Cubs had a little back and forth. And one of the low points for me was, you know, they had come back from a bad road trip. You know, they won a series with the Mets. They won a series with Tampa. And they were going to the West Coast. And it was like, this 10-game road trip is really going to tell us a lot. And, you know, they split the first four with San Diego and then went to L.A. and got swept by the Angels. And for me, that was one of the low points of the season. Um, at that point, it was really hard to see them being buyers, even though I, I still had some belief in this team. But then since then, you know, they ride the ship pretty quickly. You know, they won two out of three in San Francisco against the Giants. They came back and swept the Pirates. They won two out of three from Baltimore and swept the Pirates again. Um, I know that that feeds into going to the trip to London, and there were some, definitely some hiccups on the way back from that. But if you go back to the end of that Angels sweep, um, the Cubs are playing have gone 24 and 15 since they got swept by the Angels. That's a 6-15 clip. And they've done that now for over a month. And when you look at that, that's a 6-15 win pace, which is the same win pace as a 99-win season. Now, I don't think they're a nine, they're certainly not a 99-win team. They were never going to be. I predicted them before the season started at around 83 wins, you know, plus or minus a couple. And I don't think my thoughts have changed that much. So they've had to play good baseball to make up for that really crappy May. And as you look at it now, the pressure has been ratcheted up. I mean, they came back from London and it was kind of, it was awful the way they lost the last game to the Cardinals. Then they come home and they get swept by the Phillies and they lose two out of three to the Guardians. But since then, it's been pretty sharp. I mean, I, I could quibble a little bit about the Milwaukee Brewers series and the first series after the break against the Red Sox, but they they split four with the Brewers. They took two of three in New York from the Yankees. They did lose two out of three to the Red Sox, but then they took two or three from the Nationals, and they won three out of four from the Cardinals, and they just swept the White Sox. So this team is doing what they need to do. And what's cool is this 24-15 and 15 stretch, you know, early in the season, the pitching was clicking. You know, Stroman and Steele were all-star level pitchers, Cy Young candidates, and... Drew Smiley, you know, almost threw a perfect game. He was nails. Uh, Jamison Tyone was struggling a lot, but then Kyle Hendricks came back, and he was looking good, and Hayden Wisniewski had his ups and downs. But through this stretch now, you know, Stroh has struggled a little bit. Steele's had a couple of his worst outings during this 24-15 and 15 run. Kyle Hendricks has been good, but he's been lit up a couple times, and Drew Smiley has kind of fallen off the face of the planet so far. What's good to see is they're doing this as a team. They've still been fighting injuries. You know, Dansby Swanson missed 10 days, and that kind of played right into that stretch um, where they didn't do so well against Boston. Um, you know, he missed about 10, missed about 15 games, I think. Um, Nick Madrigal's still out. You know, Cody Bellinger, this does sort of coincide with when Cody Bellinger came back. I mean, he's been a really, really hot bat in the lineup. And they're just playing good baseball, and they're doing it in a lot of different ways. I mean, yeah, I've, I've talked a lot about Miles Mastroboni, probably more than most of you want to hear about. 
but he's finally starting to come around. He's finally starting to show the player I thought he showed in spring training. He's hitting the ball hard. He's making most of the plays on defense. Got his first homer the other day. I mean, he's a guy who hit through the minor leagues. And when you've got injuries, when Nick Madrigal is out, Patrick Wisdom has been out, came back, and he's been very, very streaky this season and very inconsistent. If you can get Miles Mastroboni to get in there and hit the ball hard, that's a good thing. Jan Gomes has been really clutch. Cody Bellinger's been on fire. As they've played these last, you know, 10 games or so, Ian Happ and Seiya Suzuki and Nico Horner are coming out of big slumps. So this is a team that I think has what it takes to fight. Um, I've tweeted about it a couple times, but this is a team I'm... It's it's still a flawed team. There's still roster construction issues. It's not going to be a team that's going to win 8 out of 10 consistently. But this is a team that does want to fight you. We've seen that the last few weeks. We saw it last night in Chicago. I mean, they're not going to physically fight you. Like, this isn't a team of Michael Barrett's. But they're going to battle. They're going to put up good at-bats. They're going to make the pitchers work. And... They're not a team, you know, early in the season, especially in May, there were some stretches, and I think it was a lot of lineup construction and whatever, but the offense might pop a few runs early, and they were just done. I haven't felt like this offense was done in quite a while. And even if they lose, and even if they have a day where they don't score many runs, I don't feel like they're done. I feel like Hap's going to take that walk, or Mastroboni's going to get a hit, or Nick Madrigal, or, sorry, Christopher Morrell's going to pop one somewhere. Um... And I think a lot of it is certainly around having Cody Bellinger in the middle of that lineup since he's come back and he's been hot and he's been producing. He had a bomb last night. I mean, he just, that thing was just gone from the moment it left his bat. And you have that threat in the middle of the lineup. You know, it's something pitchers have to deal with. By this time next week, we're going to know what happened at the trade deadline. And honestly, I'm so ready for it to be over. I I know a lot of people like the trade deadline. There's tons of speculation. You can make up a lot of wild proposals and, and dream about who you're going to get, whether whether you're a seller or a buyer, right? If you're, if you're a seller and you're definitely out of the race, it's a lot of fun to think about, wow, what are these great prospects I could get? Or if you're a contender... Am I I going to get that bullpen arm? Are the Cubs going to go get that third baseman? Or is there going to be another bat in the lineup or a starting pitcher to help out? And I'm just tired of it this year. I think think because I don't think there's going to be a lot of action at the deadline. I mean, there will be a lot of action. There will be a lot of trades made. But like last year, I think we were totally spoiled. There were a lot of really big trades last year, you know, especially now that Shohei Otani is off the market. There's not going to be that one Soto trade. There's not going to be that one big megastar we did see Lucas Giolito last night after the White Sox loss get traded uh, to the Angels. It's a good move on their part. If they've got Shohei Otani and they're committed to not trading him and they only have him under contract for one for the rest of the season so far, make a good faith last-ditch effort to try to get that team in the playoffs. I mean, I think the Angels' best path to keeping Otani is to somehow get in the playoffs this year and show that, look, we're ready and willing to do what it takes to support and put a winner out there and they've, they've spent the money. Spending money has not been a problem. I mean, they're, they're basically wasting $38 million a year right now on Anthony Rendon, who's not been able to stay healthy and has not been even a shred of the player they thought they were getting from Washington in 2019, after, after the 2019 season. I mean, he's just been a black hole for money. And so that's cut into what they're doing. They're paying Mike Trout $413 million. 
So they've shown that they'll spend money. I'm sure they'll make Shohei a great a great offer. They're gonna have to show him like what else what else can we bring to the table? What else can we put out here to try to help support you as a winner? So the Cubs they head in the deadline. They've got four against St. Louis and one against the Reds, and then we're on August first and it's deadline time. And I don't know. I mean, I'm not gonna set any of these crazy. Well, if the Cubs win four games but not five. Or if they lose two as opposed to one, that's going to change what they're going to do. I think, I mean, Jed and Carter have done this a few, Jed especially has done this a few times. I'm sure he's been, we've, we've heard the rumors about taking offers for Bellinger and Stroman and who they might be looking at. I, I think I'm sure they, they, they've been talking to general managers around baseball for weeks now. They know what the market is for Bellinger and Stroman. They know what they're likely to do. And I think the more, I think there's always a temptation to trade because I don't think this team, I mean, this team, let's be, let's face it, even if they make the playoffs, if they win the week central, if they sneak in as a third wild card, they're not a team that is going to be anybody's favorite to win the World Series. That's fine. That's not where they are in the rebuild process. But I think they can compete for it. And all I said in the beginning of the year is give me meaningful baseball in September. So if they don't trade Bellinger and they don't trade Stroman, or maybe even if they trade one of the two, I think this team can play meaningful baseball in September, which would be a far better outcome than the last two seasons. But I think what they're looking for is, I really don't think Jed is going to trade either Stroman or Bellinger. I think they're listening enough. And if, if some team, you know, if the Cubs go out this weekend and get swept by St. Louis, maybe all bets are off. Maybe they're, maybe they're in full sell mode at that point. But I think at this point, I think they're listening to offers if they get absolutely blown away, if some GM just gets stupid with what they're offering because they want Stroman or Bellinger that badly, maybe they make a deal. In Bellinger's case, he is eligible for a qualifying offer. So anything that the Cubs get for Cody Bellinger has to be more valuable to the Cubs as an organization than the number 68 to 70 pick in next year's draft. And this year at 68, they drafted Jackson Wiggins, the high school arm that they just signed. Um, there's a kid who's coming off some injury concerns, but when, when he was healthy, he was throwing high nineties and has just top line stuff. And the benefit there is you're getting a guy that you pick, right? You do your draft homework, you seek out your guy in that round and go, go sign him. Which is better than, you know, I don't know, a couple double a prospects who are 26 and haven't done much in a year and a half. Like, you know, you're kind of typical, and I, I've used him before. I don't want to pile on too much, but like, you're not going to trade Cody Bellinger for this year's version of Bryce Ball. I don't want to pile on Bryce because playing baseball is really, really, really hard. And he was a fair prospect there for a while, both with Atlanta and Chicago. But you know, that kind of return is not going to get it done if if that's the level of return. Then just keep Bellinger, play out the season, see what happens. Especially if the Cubs think the Bellinger. And this applies to Stroman too, but if they think Bellinger is a guy that they want to keep around long-term, then I think you spend the rest of this year, you keep him, you put him in Chicago, hopefully the Cubs can continue to stay hot, have a good August. And then you're in September with those Wrigley crowds playing, you know, playoff race baseball. What an incredible place to be. So I really hope they stay. I think between the two, I think Stroman is probably pretty likely to Resign with the Cubs if the Cubs push hard. He has said he would do it if even if they traded him away, but 
Let's be real. Like you trade guys away. They don't often come back. It does happen occasionally, but I think it's better just to keep him. And I know I've heard a lot of talk about, you know, if Stroman is looking for 25 to $28 million a year, is he worth it? I think there's this sense out there that, you know, 25 to $28 million is ace money. And I don't think Stroman's an ace. I think he goes through stretches every season where he pitches like one. But I think he's, you know, maybe a low-end number one. He's he's a, at worst, he's a mid-level number two. Maybe absolute worst, high-end three. But he's a, he's a front half of your rotation starter without a doubt. And, you know, 25 to 28 million is kind of where that market is right now. You know, the... Five years ago, yeah, that's ace money. But now ace money is, you know, 30 plus, probably 35 to $40 million. Look at like what Verlander and DeGrom and Scherzer have gotten in the last couple of years. And as you look that forward, you know, Stroman's probably five years would probably be the high end of what certainly what the Cubs would sign him for. I think, I think if he stays with the Cubs, it'd be likely to be maybe a three or four year deal um, for solid money in that range. And, you know, 25 to $28 million four years from now is maybe not even number two money. So, you know, I'm not that concerned about the contract. I think what I'm looking at with this trade deadline is I want to see the Cubs not make themselves appreciably worse in 2023. And I want them to set themselves up and get some additional building blocks for 2024. And this is the wildest year, you know, that I can remember as far as the trade deadline because there are so many teams with the – change in the, the balance schedule and the third wild card, there's so many more teams that are still theoretically in play. I mean, I'm looking at the wild card standings right now. In the National League, I see St. Louis has already declared that they're sellers. Um, basically, the Cardinals, Pirates, Nationals, and Rockies in the NL are clearly out of it, not competing for anything this year. In the American League, probably draw the cut line Detroit. Detroit, the White Sox, Cincinnati, and Oakland. So that's really like eight teams in baseball that are dead in the water, done right now. There are a couple other teams that probably should be in that zone. But, you know, when you look at it, I mean, in the NL, the the next two teams above St. Louis are the Mets and the Padres, both of whom spent just insane amounts of money this offseason on paper are super, super talented teams that theoretically could take off soon. But, you know, I mean, the Cubs are two games better than the Padres and three games better than the Mets. And, you know, I don't know that neither one of those teams is going to catch the division leader. I think they'd have to play just probably like 800 baseball the rest of the way to do that, especially the Mets. But to get to the wild card, I mean, right now San Francisco's leading and Cincinnati's in that third spot. Arizona's a half game behind Cincinnati. Miami's a half game behind Cincinnati. And then you got the Cubs at four and a half. So you've got nine teams in the National League that are within five games of a playoff spot. And in the American League, it's similar boat. I mean, really, everybody above Detroit is really in play. I mean, you, I'll include Cleveland because they're five and a half games out of the wild card, but they've got 11 teams within five and a half games of a playoff spot. So there are some teams in there that may decide that they're sellers. Maybe they've been fading now, or maybe they just don't think they're quite there yet and have a couple assets that they're, they know they're not going to sign back next year and make some trades. But when you've got that many teams still really competing for the playoffs. There just aren't that many teams selling. And then you look at like the A's and the Royals and they each have a couple things they could sell, but those are just bad baseball teams. There aren't a lot of thing, a lot of guys on those teams that would be super attractive as trade targets. 
it's some of those middle tier teams like if the Cubs were five games worse and they were they would be dealing Bellinger and Stroman. Maybe they will. Maybe they will anyway, but um, we'll have to see about that. But I think it's, you know, as I look at this, my my preference would be for them to work in the margins, soft sell, soft buy, maybe a little of both. Um, I've heard rumors about Jan Gomes. Personally, with him having a team option for $6 million last year, the way he's been playing the last two years, I would prefer to keep him, bring him back on that option, and then next year let Amaya be the starter and Gomes be his backup and you're paying Gomes to to mentor Amaya. They'll have to deal with Barnhart, but Barnhart's making about half what Gomes is. Barnhart's a guy who, you know, there might be a taker for him on the deadline this this season. Otherwise, you know, his three point two five million is not insignificant, but that's that's not gonna stop them from making a move. If they want that roster spot back, they can walk away from that. Um but on the on the Gomes trade, the one thing that I will say that I've seen from Jed over the last several years is Jed at the deadline holds for value on his trades. You look back and and not every trade is going to work, whether you hold for value or not. But when you look at those trades, both at the time they were made and really since in the context of what it was they got were good trades. Probably one of the worst in terms of results has been the Craig Kimball trade to the White Sox for Cody Hoyer and Nick Madrigal. That looked like a really good trade at the time. And going back, I think I would do it again. I mean, I, not if I know what happened since then. But, you know, Cody Hoyer's a live arm. Looked like a guy who was could be closing for the Cubs within a year. Um, and then he had Tommy John surgery. And then coming back from Tommy John surgery, he had that nasty elbow injury. So we'll see where he goes from here. I'm still hopeful he can come back. But we'll see. That's That's two major arm injuries. And Nick Madrigal was hurt when they traded for him, but it looked like a really good contact bat at a time when, you know, maybe Nico Horner was going to be shifting over to sec- to play shortstop and you could plug Madrigal in at second base, have a nice bit of contact at the top of the lineup. He's sort of hit at times. He's, he's had times where he's looked really good, but really the story with Nick Madrigal has also been injuries. He's had so many leg injuries, and now he's got one again. He was rehabbing it. They had to shut him down for a couple days there. So I don't know. I mean, at this point, I've said on this podcast that I thought Nick Madrigal was a candidate to get dealt somewhere where to, to a team that needs a contact bat that can play second base. I mean, that's his niche. That's, that's where he belongs in baseball. But as long as the Cubs have Nico Horner, like Nick Madrigal just is not going to be their starting second baseman. And he's been, he's been playable at third. I mean, I'll give him a lot of credit. He's been a lot better at third base than I'd expected. And when he's hitting, that's fine. You can kind of live with that defense. There are some plays down the line that I think you're giving up because he just doesn't have the arm strength and the size to make that throw. But the routine stuff and anything to the whole side of third base, I mean, he's doing fine there because he's able to, um, I think it was Fangraphs had a nice piece on it where they were showing his shuffle steps. I know some fans and, and some people have sort of made fun of him for it, but he's done a really good job of maximizing the time he has playing a relatively shallow third base when he gets the ball, he's already moving towards first base. Take a couple shuffle steps, get your body behind the throw, and go make a strong, accurate throw. Where he's had problems is when he has to, you know, his his weight's not moving towards first base, so it's harder to get that momentum going, and he just has to throw on arm strength. And he can, I mean, he can physically get the ball there. So can I. I'm a, almost a 50-year-old old man with shoulder problems, but I'm not getting it over there the way a major league third baseman gets it over there. 
and that's really been Nick's issue. But I'm I'm hopeful he'll come back. He could be a nice little bat ad in the second half. If he can get himself healthy, get back from rehab. Um, and we'll see. I don't even know. You know, because there are so many teams in contention, it's hard to even know what's out there as a trade target. There are a lot of rumors and this guy and that guy. But like I've seen rumors. I've seen two tweets today. One from somebody sort of tied to the Astros and one, I think, from a Braves fan. Like pointing to Justin Steele as a good trade target they've they've heard rumblings about. And I mean, it's just garbage. It's just not... I mean, Justin Steele would be so expensive at the deadline that he'd be on... Nobody could make a deadline trade for Justin Steele. I mean, he's pitching at a borderline Cy Young candidate level. He's shown to be basically all of baseball ace level since the middle of last year. And he's under, he's making the league minimum right now. He's under control team control for the next four years. He's under free agent until 2028. Like the Cubs would be insane to trade him. If there's any deal with him, you know, like last year when I talked through my trading for Shohei Otani episode, I did talk about a bunch of different deals they could make centered around different guys in the system. And Justin Steele was one of those guys. But that was last year as he was maybe just starting to break out. I forget the date that I put that episode out, but it was, if he had already started to break out, it wasn't very far into it. And that was a case where, yeah, he's young and he's cost controlled and he's looking really good. So that's the kind of player you would give up for, you know, somebody of Shohei Otani's caliber, but short of something like that. And at this point now, I think Justin Steele has established himself too much. I mean, why would you trade that? You've got a really cheap, even as he gets his arbitration increases, if the Cubs don't extend him, um, until he gets closer to free agency, you know he's he's making seven hundred and fifty seven thousand dollars this year. Next year he'll hit his first arbitration year, and he's going to get a nice big raise. It wouldn't surprise me if he was making five six million dollars. But there, are, you know, guidelines within the ARB system, so he's not just going to be rushing right up to market value. So we'll see what the Cubs do. Um, I think. As we look ahead, as far as who's going to make an impact to the Cubs, they might make a trade and bring somebody in. I do hope they bring in a lefty bullpen arm, uh, some kind of lefty bat. I've heard C.J. Cron talked about, possibly Ryan McMahon. Um, bullpen could be sort of anything. I don't, again, I don't know who's on, who's available on the market. Um, so I'm not going to go pour through 30 rosters and try to put together 15 trade proposals. Um, but I do know that the Cubs typically hold value at the deadline where I think the Cubs could get some boost is, you know, kind of filling in for the back end of that rotation where there have been some struggles. And right now I'm talking about Drew Smiley, but he might get it back. Um, one guy that's really intriguing to watch over the next couple of weeks. And we might even see him as early as tomorrow. So in the St. Louis, the Cubs are about to start their four game series with St. Louis tonight. I think the game starts probably in about two hours from when I'm recording right now. They've got Justin Steele going tonight. So hopefully that's a, Good start to the series. And then tomorrow is TBD. It's Drew Smiley's spot in the rotation. Now, last time his spot came up, they started Michael Fulmer and then piggyback Smiley. Fulmer was okay. I mean, Lars Newbar jumped him for the first pitch homer. But after that, he was he was good for the rest of his two innings. Then Smiley didn't pitch very well. But the Cubs, I think the Cubs won that game. I'd have to go back and look. They kind of blend together at this point. But it wouldn't surprise me to see Hayden Wisniewski come up maybe with Smiley available as, as a piggyback if they need him. But when the Cubs sent Wesneski back down to the minors, he's had three starts in July with the goal of stretching him out. You know, first start he went 
three innings, gave up two hits, six strikeouts. Next time up, he gave up a couple runs, but he threw three innings again, four hits, five strikeouts. And then his last time out on July 22nd, he was nails. He went five innings, faced 18 hitters, no walks, four hits, eight strikeouts. So total in his time back in Iowa, he's thrown 11 innings, given up 10 hits, two earned runs, two walks, and 19 strikeouts. I mean, that's a guy who's getting a swagger back. So I, I think it's about time to see him up. And if he can come up and give what he showed flashes of early in the season, but show what he showed in spring training, be that guy we saw at the end of last season, that's a guy who can give a little energy and a little boost to the back end of this rotation. And Jamison Tyone has been pitching better. He's still not quite where he needs to be. But you can see clear progress, especially since he threw that great game in New York to beat the Yankees. Um, so I'm, I'm confident there. Kyle Hendricks has been pretty consistent. Uh, Stroman struggled a little bit, but I know Stroman had that blister he d- developed in the London game, and he's made comments. I think probably if this hadn't been such a critical stretch, I think they might have sat him and had him miss a couple turns. But this wasn't a time where I think they felt like they could do that. And I think he's he's commented that it's affected the way he throws the slider. And I think just once you change that momentum and once you change that rhythm as a pitcher, I think it starts to affect a lot of things. Combine that with last night was a super hot and humid night in Chicago. Um, I don't want to make excuses because he has been, his last six starts, five of them have been pretty, pretty rough. Um, but I think if the Cubs don't trade him, maybe the best thing they do is have him sit a start or two get that blister healed up and just let him get back to being Marcus Stroman. I mean, he threw, I don't even expect him to go back to the way he started the season. I mean, he was like the best stretch of his career early in the season. And you're just not going to do that all the time. And you don't just find, sometimes you can, but it's pretty rare to just find the best part of your career at this point at Stroman's age. But he's always shown he can be a very solid, consistent, starter game in game out give you a good effort keep your team in the game and so that's what i expect him to get back to it might be missing a starter too but i think that's fine like once it comes there's all this angst and all this pressure about the deadline because there's only a few things you can do after after the deadline you can only get guys off waivers or guys other people release um, call up your own minor leaguers so there's been a lot of pressure about whether the cubs are going to be buyers or sellers at the deadline but once that's done, whatever direction they pick, whether they pick both lanes, whether they go full sell, full buy, you clear the deadline. There's still two months of regular season baseball left. So the Cubs are going to be, I mean, hopefully they do well in this series, but there's a good chance the Cubs are going to be, you know, within two and six games of first place in the, in the division and within maybe the same range of the wild card. And that's like 58 games or something left over the last two months. So you got to go out. There's still plenty of time. I mean, they could honestly, they could sell, find some magic from the farm system, catch lightning in a bottle, and go make the playoffs. Now, if they do full sell and they get rid of Bellinger, they get rid of Stroman, they get rid of Gomes, Fulmer, Merriweather, Lighter, they're they're not going to go win the division. Let's just be real. But even if they sell one guy, you know, Stroman's made 22 starts, I think. So, in a full season, the starting pitcher at the top of the rotation is going to make probably 33, 34 starts. So he's got maybe, and he's already missed one or two, so he's probably going to have eight to ten starts left the rest of the way. So that's eight to ten games where maybe you have to fill in with something else. I think Bellinger's a little bit more impactful because he's in that lineup virtually every day. 
but there's like all this pressure and all this angst. Like this is the end of the season. Like this is when we decide what we're going to be. And then it's going to be over on the first. They'll have made whatever moves they're going to make. And then there's still two months of baseball left. That's what's beautiful about this. And this is why I am so adamant against doing a wholesale sell. When you do that, you're telling your fans, okay, we, we're not good enough yet. We didn't do a good enough job in the offseason, whatever, whatever that story is. And now the last two months, you know, hey, please keep coming to the baseball. I know we have a really expensive ticket and we have some of the most expensive beer in baseball, but sure, keep coming to Wrigley, please. Fill it up. No, it's a horrible message to sell fans. Give us a shot. This team has shown heart. The front office needs to show some heart. Um, I tweeted about it a little bit ago, but honestly, if Jed, Jed can talk all he wants about not wanting to be a seller. If you don't want to be a seller, they should have bought Jamer Candelario three, four weeks ago. Go jump the market. Go get that guy that's going to help win a couple extra games so that you're not in the sell position at the deadline. But now they are where they are because, you know, Jed and Carter like to wait and wait and wait and wait. And in fairness, most of the other general managers are doing the same thing. A few guys have jumped it this week. Texas Texas did jump the market and went and got Roldis Chapman, you know, a couple weeks ago. But most GMs wait and wait and wait and wait to the very end. And when you do that, I think you put a lot of pressure on your team. I think you send mixed messages to the team. You know, I think going out and getting them, even if it's not a big addition, go get an extra bat. Or at a point when Madrigal and Wisdom are both on the shelf, or Dansby's down and Madrigal's also out, go get another guy who can play third base. Just send the team a message that, hey, you know, we're in this too, and we're fighting here with you. This team has shown me a lot of fight over the last, you know, 40, 50 games. And I think it's a team of professionals that's going to continue to show that fight. I mean, I saw some reminders this week on Twitter that, you know, I think it was Tuesday, um, today's Thursday, I think it was Tuesday, you know, in 2019, Dansby Swanson's Braves team were was two games under 500. Or maybe it was yesterday, must have been yesterday. Two games under 500, this many games in, and they went on to win the World Series that year. Now, I don't think this Cubs team is as talented as that Braves team, certainly. But that Braves team had also, you know, lost Ronald Acuna Jr. And there's just, there's hope. And this is a team of professionals. And you just see it. Those guys are grinding at bats. They want to win. They're playing hard. Um, Every time they lose, I see stuff about, oh, they don't care. They're not trying out there. That's just garbage. You watch them play. They're running out ground balls. They're playing hard in the outfield. They're trying to work a count, work in a bat, get a good pitch. And this front office needs to step up for them. They need to at least put a team out there that's going to compete the last two months. If they don't, if this turns, I, I don't, I, I think we're past the point of a full sale. I think, I don't know how, you know, the organization can be putting out their new marquee streaming service, trying to sell marquee directly to fans, which they launched this week. And some of the other things going on while the team is on a, you know, 24 and 15 stretch where they're playing six fifteen baseball over more than a month and say, eh, you know, we're going to go blow it up again. But I do hope that they go out, give this team a little boost, give them a shot in the arm, go get somebody who's, you know, sometimes when you look at a trade, like I remember when the Cubs traded for Kenny Lofton in 2003 
and Aramis Ramirez. Now, Aramis Ramirez was a young player then, but he had a lot of struggles with Pittsburgh. Randall Simon was yeah, a good player, but you know Kenny Lofton was past his prime, but they brought those guys in and just gave everybody a shot in the arm. All of a sudden, like Kenny Lofton's playing like he's 10 years younger. Randall Simon's crushing baseballs. And all of a sudden, Ramos Ramirez figured it out. And so take a shot. I mean, I know this this year they have to keep in mind where they are as a team and as a franchise on this rebuild. They're not going to go trade you know, for their top 10 prospects for p- key pieces of the deadline. But the Cubs are at a point now, I was reading this week, I mean, the Cubs have to clear you know 12 to 15 minor league spots to accommodate all their new signed draftees. And so they've got a, I don't want to say a glut of talent, but they have a lot of depth in the system right now. And when you have a lot of depth, you can use that depth for trade. And they also have a couple positions where they're really, really deep. They have a lot of young arms. Um, I don't want to sell too many of those because, you know, you never know which arms are going to click. You don't know when they're going to click. Um, Justin Steele was drafted in 2014. And, you know, he's just been up the last couple of years. He's had a long road with a lot of injuries, a lot of rehab. But he's getting it done. Not 2014. When was Justin Steele drafted? It was 2014. Fifth round pick in 2014. All right, so I did remember that correctly. Um, you know, so you don't know when these guys are going to hit, but but you it also means you can't keep them all. Like, the Cubs can't keep all of their draft picks from the last five years hoping that somebody pops later. Like, draft from some of the strength. You know, I, I've said a lot. I know I talked about this last year, but prospects are... Essentially, if you look at them in the the pure business sense, you know they're they're people, and I prefer to think of them as people. But in terms of the business side of baseball, a prospect is a perishable asset. It is an asset that has a lot of value as that prospect is rising through the system, earning promotions, playing well, looking like a major leaguer. Then they become a major leaguer, and then it's are they a good major leaguer or not? And some guys come up, look like amazing baseball players all through the minor leagues get to the major leagues and they just flop. Some guys don't have a ton of value and all of a sudden they get to the major leagues and I don't know, they get called up because of an injury and they just need to fill out a spot and the guy takes off. But the other side of it is while they're in the minor leagues, if a guy has not been to the major leagues yet, you have not exposed all those flaws that major league pitchers and hitters are going to find. And they look like really good players coming up and they look like somebody you would want to have. And they've got value, especially if they're Major League Baseball top 100 or if they're an organization's top 15. Like that has a lot of value. But if you just sit and hold on that value, at some point they become too old for their level. They don't make it up to the minor leagues. Then the question is, well, this guy's now 28 years old. Why hasn't he been to the major leagues? And so that prospect status starts to fall. So you really want to try to find that line where you're bringing talent up to the major leagues, but you're also taking advantage of the depth you have and identifying some of those guys that you don't think maybe have a path in your organization and go deal those for either, you know, the the Cubs are strong in arm depth and they have a lot of outfielders. They don't have a lot of high-end middle infield prospects at Iowa right now. They had a couple. Uh, I like Jake Slaughter. I think he's going to get a shot at some point. Um, Jonathan Berlaza is a guy that could come up and make some noise, but like... Those guys don't rank as prospects where Pete Crow Armstrong does or where Alexander Canario did before his injuries or where Kevin Alcantara is or where the pitchers are. And so if you can take maybe a couple of those outfielders and make a trade, maybe you come back with a you know a 25-year-old cost-controlled infielder who 
was at one point a good prospect, but maybe is struggling in the big leagues, but you see the talent and you have a development plan. I mean, there are a lot of directions this can go, but use that prospect depth. And that's really what I want to see them do. And so that's probably more than you want to hear from me on the trade deadline. So I'll let that go for now. Next time we talk, we can talk about what the Cubs did or didn't do. And it'll be glorious because it'll be over. But no, this week um, I took a trip down to Myrtle Beach. I've been, I live in Charlotte, so Myrtle Beach, it's a three and a half hour drive. It's a not, certainly not a hard drive. It's an easy drive down there, but in terms of having a family of wife and three kids and trying to work out all of our stuff, it's been difficult to get down there. So my, my oldest and I took advantage Sunday, went down, um, saw a rain shortened game, but boy, was that great game. Great. So the Marino Santi was probably the highlight of the day for me. I had reached out to Greg Huss and Greg Zumak, uh, two friends of the pod who are on work for Northside bound and they're, they do the Cubs on deck podcast. And I asked both of them like what their thoughts on Santi were. Cause I, I, he was not a guy I'd heard a lot about. And from the two, I heard very similar reports, lots of ground balls, live arm, lots of mo- movement. And so my son and I went down, we had tickets, you know, in the section behind home plates. So we could, we were, he was a former pitcher in high school, so we wanted to watch the pitch movement and see what we could see, especially on Santee. Well, he did not disappoint. I mean, he was bringing the fastball at 95, 96 pretty consistently. Had just a gorgeous changeup that was just chewing guys up all day long and a really nice curveball. And so, you know, he went out and, you know, the storms, we could see the storms rolling in. Um, but Santee got his five, and then the relief pitcher came out. But Santee threw five no-hit innings. No hits, three walks, and that that's one of his issues. He he walks a few too many guys, and he ran up a lot of big counts, but um, five no-hit innings, three walks, and eight strikeouts. That's pretty pretty fun to watch. And the top of the first, Myrtle Beach just really got a roll, and they you know had five consecutive hits to start the game, from including Christopher, uh, Christopher Morell's little brother, Raphael Morell, who looks just like him. Um, looks like him, from what I could tell, you know, acts like him, is very happy. Uh, lots of energy, he's fast, hits the ball hard. Um, Jefferson Rojas had a couple hits. We saw Patrick Chavers get a big hit. That dude's he's big and he's fast. I think with Chavers, the thing they're Parker Chavers. What did I say the first time? Parker Chavers. Um, what stood out to me was you know he hit the ball hard. And it, we didn't see a lot of power. It was all singles that day, but it was very very humid. Very kind of that the winds were coming in from. The water, which, you know, they, they're often blowing in at Myrtle Beach, so it's a tough place to hit home runs, but a lot of singles. But Parker Chaver's fast. That really popped off the page to me. So I had a great time. I, wherever you are, if you have a chance to go out and see the the Pelicans or get to the Complex League or go, go to South Bend, catch an Iowa Cubs game in Des Moines, go see the Smokies, highly recommend it. And just talent all over the system. The guys are fun to watch. They play with energy. Um, baseball's fun. Baseball is supposed to be fun. So enjoy this Cubs run for what they're doing. Go find some minor league action. If you if you can't get to it in person, check it out on Marquee. A lot of these games are televised on minor league TV. It's a great time to be a Cub fan. And, hey, go beat the Cardinals. They're quitting. Go take their lunch money. I don't know, whatever it is. Anyway, we'll talk again next week. And go Cubs. Thank you for joining me today. If you like this episode, please drop a five-star rating and a review wherever it is you get your podcasts and share an episode with a friend. Just a few seconds can help 
me get better and help other Cub fans find the show. You can also find me on Twitter or X, Instagram, TikTok, Threads, and YouTube, all at CubsPS+. And check out our Patreon page to help support the show and keep it ad-free. As always, the music for this podcast comes from Prospect Park West by Jerry McCoy. This is Mike Waller, host of the Cubs PS Plus podcast. Every day with Cubs baseball, we're talking about Cubs baseball. It's a great day. Go Cubs!